0: message is quiet, canceling the noise, and this is number seven in metamorphosis, the way of transformation, and what we've been doing is standing for the reading of the word, so if you can stand, we're going to read two passages, you can stand and then we're going to pray, we're going to read two passages, the first is Isaiah chapter 8, 5 through 7, the next one will be Psalm 131. So Isaiah chapter 8, 5 through 7, I'll be reading from the NIV this morning as we begin. The Lord spoke to me again. This is God speaking to Isaiah. The Lord spoke to me again. And I just want to stop here and just say a little bit of the context is, this is the time when the Israelites... The Jews, both of the uh, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, were talking a lot about conspiracies. And the Lord said to them, Do not call conspiracy everything. Do not call conspiracy everything that everyone else is calling conspiracy. And he said, It's you, it's me, it's me that you should fear. That's what the Lord was saying. Well, out of that, in that context, we have this passage here. The Lord spoke to me again, because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloach and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Ramalia. Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates, the king of Assyria with all its, his pomp. It will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks. And that's our first passage. The second one is Psalm 131, and it says this, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Now, if you could put your hands on your hearts, we're going to pray. If you can pray this nice and loud with me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And Father, I'm praying that you would bless this word that you would give it it wings, that it would go into the hearts and homes of those that you are speaking to. Lord, let it also be a message to the body of Christ to encourage us, but also to convict us and change us. Give me grace to share it in Jesus' name. Amen. In an age of noise, this is the theme, in an age of noise, God has called us to live a quiet life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 says, Make it your goal to live a quiet life. Now, I think in this message, there's a little bit of something to offend everybody. But I'm not meaning to offend anyone. So let the word cut your heart. The word convicts us and challenges us. Today, I want to talk to you about quietness. We live in the noisiest generation since the beginning of time. And as I was writing this, I could hear the roar of the Gateway Motorway. I went to a quiet place. So I I went to my backyard cafe as I was finishing the message. So that's a quiet place. And and then I just took some time to just listen to the sounds around me. And I can, at, at the time, I could hear the roar of the Gateway Motorway the rev of cars and the thunderous sounds of motorcycles. A wood sore was buzzing in my neighbor's yard, and a jet was just flying overhead. Then I heard a train screech by. And in the past, often when I was in the backyard, one of the neighbors would be yelling expletives throughout the day. And we prayed, Lord, improve them or remove them. And it looks like, They've been removed because we haven't heard the sound for a while. And then there's the phone dinging and ringing and pulsating all day. There's some of the noises that we hear. But it's not just harmful noises. There are beautiful sounds also. If you listen, you you can hear, as I was out there, I could hear the wind rustling through the wind. I mean, the wind rustling through the trees. the wind rustling through the trees, and I could hear the birds singing. And even now, if you listen, you can hear the kids playing in the park. You can hear hear these different sounds. That's a beautiful sound, the kids playing in the park. And sometimes they get a little bit rowdy, but thank God they're quieting down right now. Psalm 131, which we read last, deals with the noise and the loudness of life. It reflects the clamor of the soul and it teaches us an important lesson. The greatest risk to your soul is not the noises without, but the noise within. God has designed our souls to be a sanctuary of quietness and rest, a dwelling place for God and his shalom. However, we don't learn this quickly. When teaching on Psalm 131, Spurgeon wrote, comparing all the Psalms to gems, we should liken this to a pearl. How beautifully it will adorn the neck of patience. It is one of the shortest Psalms to read, Spurgeon says, but one of the longest to learn. It is one of the shortest Psalms to read, only three verses, but one of the longest to learn. So here's the question that I'm proposing today. How can you cancel the noise and enjoy God's shalom within you? How can you cancel the noise and enjoy God's shalom within you? So the first point is this. Value the gentle, the meek, and the quiet. Value the gentle, the meek, and the quiet. And one of the reasons why quietness is important is you can't hear God's voice if you're so noisy inside. If you're talking, you can't hear, and it's all your thoughts and other people's thoughts. You can't hear what, what, you can't hear what God wants to speak to you. That's one of the reasons why quietness is important. There's also a quietness which is bad. It's not good. You know, the quietness of somebody that's really angry and they're silent and they close themselves off and they're not talking. But that's not the quietness we're talking about. We're talking about the quietness that comes from the Holy Spirit this morning. And again, the first point is value, the gentle, the meek, and the quiet. And let's go back to Isaiah 8, 5 through 7 again, which says... Uh, Isaiah says, the Lord spoke to me again because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloah and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Remaliah. Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates. What does this mean? Well, we'll talk about it. At that time, God's people were losing their way. Remember, they were getting so caught up with conspiracies that they were getting their eyes off the Lord. They were fearing the conspiracies rather than fearing the Lord and honoring and reverencing Him. And they began to value the loud, the powerful, and the pompous. Other, these other kings, like the king of Aram. And they were... Rejoicing over the power, strength and resources, resources of resin, uh, the king of Aram, which is modern-day Syria, and they looked with hope to Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the head of the northern tribes of Israel. Now, if you don't understand all these names, just understand what just understand that the, God's people were looking to these powerful kings and kingdoms. And they were rejoicing in their power, in their strength, in their military might. They were finding their security in these kingdoms rather than in God himself. And God describes it as them rejecting the gently flowing waters from Shiloah. And this Shiloah is... uh, is a, uh, it's the, these waters are the waters that fed into Jerusalem, that was their water source. So the reason why Jerusalem was able to be secure is they didn't have to go outside the city for their water. There was these gently flowing waters coming from an underground water system out of the spring of Nihon. And Gihon was a a spring of fresh, living water, and it flowed, you can can listen on the the internet to the sounds, it's it's, this gently flowing water. It sounds like water that you would uh, put on, uh, on your speakers to rest to, just gently flowing, like a gently flowing stream, but it burst forth from underground. And then that stream was uh, harnessed, Uh, tunnels were made, channels were made to bring the water into Jerusalem, and it quenched the thirst of all Jerusalem. It satisfied the need for water for all of the citizens of Jerusalem. It was a gentle water, it was a quiet water, and it reminds us of Psalm 23 that the shepherd leads us, our shepherd leads us to quiet Waters, And the people were rejecting the quiet waters of Jerusalem and that city holy life that Jerusalem was called to for the big, pompous, loud uh, kingdoms rather than the quiet waters of Jerusalem. Yahweh convicts them of rejecting the gently flowing waters of Shiloach. They longed for, the people longed for the ocean rather than the quiet waters that supplied Jerusalem with peace and sustained satisfaction. And then God said, well, you're going to get a flood. If, If that's what you want, you're going to get a flood. It's going to be the king of Assyria, and he's going to come and flood the land. Now, we know a little bit about floods because in two. 2011, this is how high the floodwaters came. This whole place was like a lake. The, the waters went up to the basketball hoop in the park, and it, was, it smelled like toxic waste here. We couldn't come back to church for about a year here, a little less than a year. And it was the, it was the toxic sludge that was really... Uh, that came up from the floods that was really horrible, well, we know a little bit about floods, but now the flood is gone, and you don't even notice it today. But I remember Daniel and we had a was a high pressure hose, and we were cleaning the playground over there from all of that junk from the uh, flood and then everybody in in the streets here. All the contents of the homes were in the middle of the street because everybody in these homes and in the streets around lost everything in their homes. It was all flooded. Now it's uh, over 10 years later and yeah, it's 10 years, right? 2021, I'm thinking ahead. It's 10 years, right? It's 10 years and you can see you wouldn't notice the difference while well, the flood water, waters resided now like i was saying before in the ancient times the gentle flowing waters of shiloach was the only source of water for jerusalem and it came from an under underground spring called gihon and this spring still flows today so if you go to israel you can still go to the spring today now Jerusalem is bigger, so they have another water source. But that spring is still flowing. And you can take a tour and you can go there. You can go on the Internet and listen to it and go underground and see the tunnels. And great archaeological discoveries have been made in that place. Uh, one is, a, is a, 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 a carving into the stone of a Paleo-Hebrew uh, talking about how that Uh, original tunnel was made, or one of the original tunnels was made. Jesus sent the man born blind to wash his clay-covered eyes in these waters. So it's called Siloam, too. And it means sent. And Jesus sent the man with the clay on his eyes who was born blind to the waters of Siloam, and he washed in those waters and then he could see. And the psalmist sings about these reviving and restoring waters when he says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This is the only river there is. And so we come to the conclusion that this is the river, but also there is a higher river. So this is the river on the earth, the waters below, but then there's a the waters above a spiritual river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The psalmist speaks both of the natural underground water system that kept Jerusalem safe and secure so that the people did not leave this, have to leave the city for water. Uh, but he's also speaking about the heavenly waters from above the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is like these waters, like the waters that flow from the Gihon spring. They revive, Uh, these waters revive, they restore us. The Holy Spirit revives, He restores us, He renews us. And ultimately, He wants that spring within us flowing out of us into the world. The Holy Spirit within us, like a stream, like a river flowing out into the world and bringing life to the world. He wants us to be like that city of Jerusalem and like that spring. Again, like I said before, the sounds of these waters are calming and tranquil, like the sound of a stream on a recording to help you sleep. And it reminds me, like I said before, of Psalm 23. Today, it's easy for us to reject the calm streams of the Holy Spirit. Everyone is clamoring for attention. We want to be heard People are angry and want their opinion known. Social media deceives us, giving us a platform to spew our outrage. And one of the things that they discovered about the AI, the Facebook on AI, is it feeds outrage. There's two things that the AI does in what it shows you in the news feed. One of them is it just reinforces everything you believe. So if you are... Uh, of a certain frame of mind, a certain frame of thought on an issue. Say, for example, if you are politically left, it's going to feed you a lot of things that satisfy your thoughts about what is the left says. If you are politically right, it's going to feed you a lot of right-wing stuff. It's going to feed and reinforce your beliefs, and this creates a polarizing effect in our society, which we're seeing right now. The other thing is it's going to feed you a lot of news that's going to make you outraged so that you share it with others. I can't believe this is happening. So the, the news is going to come at you the social media news is going to come at you to make you upset, to make you angry, to make you outraged. Because it's only when people are outraged that they start to do something and speak about something. And they want you to stay glued onto their social media. So they're going to do, the AI is figuring out all different ways so that you can be glued to your phone or that social media. So you, I think many of us know that but it's good to realize what is happening in this day and age because we're living in a different time than 10 years ago. And we have to learn how to be disciples of Jesus in this time. And it's different than, say, 10 years ago when this uh, flood happened. It's different than 20 years ago. There's many things that are the same. Like, for example, all the way back in Isaiah's time, this is... Around seven, Was it around uh, 700 years before Christ? Yeah, they were already track, attracted to the power, to the glory, to, these, to the conspiracies, to these, to these nations, to the military might. They're already attracted to that. That's something in the human heart. But we're seeing something. We're seeing the same, but also we're seeing something different in our generation or we're having to learn to navigate through all the new things that are happening because there's rapid change. There's revolutionary, rapid change happening in our society. And the question is, how do we live like Jesus? How do we be disciples of Christ in this time of radical change? And social media deceives us, giving us a platform to spew our outrage. It used to be, that only certain people could publish books. And those books were checked and fact-checked, and and because there's a lot of money and investment that goes in the publishing of the book. And so there was a greater weight in what was written and uh, greater thought that went into what is written. But now, today, anybody can write anything, and it can be published. You can be the greatest wacko there is. You can have the strangest thoughts, and you can publish it, and there will be an audience that will be drawn to it. <laughs> and like Jesus said, this is, we have to watch out in the end that there's many that are going to come to mislead us. And we pressure our spiritual leaders to voice and comment on social issues like they're full-time journalists. And there's a lot of pressure coming around from Christians f- to uh, say to their pastors and leaders what what do you think on this what about that and it's good it's good to find out answers but some of that is we want to make our pastors like the people of this world and they're not to be like that it's like we want a Saul like the ancient uh, kingdom of Israel wanted a Saul to lead them and they rejected Samuel the prophet because they wanted a Saul and today this is Same type of thing that's happening. And our tone shouts, give us what we want or we will leave you. Sadly, in this time when Christians should be quiet, listening to God's wisdom, not what we think is right, in this time where we should be quiet and listening, we've been speaking loudly. And of course, we have all the quotes to back ourselves up. Quotes like, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And also, silence in the face of injustice is complicity with the oppressor. And we remember Jesus' words, you are the light of the world. And and we take all these quotes and say, we have to speak. We have to say something. But God says, I want you to be quiet, to drink from my river and listen to me. And it's what I say that I want you to speak. I don't want you to speak out of anger and outrage. Be angry, but sin not. Quiet yourselves before the Lord. Hear what I'm saying because what God's saying is always opposite to what the world is saying and often what the Christian world is saying. And we can't just have our patented answers. We need to be hearing from the Lord. Of course, we're meant to be the light of the world, but we are not the light of the world by trying to post things uh, on social media. Use the social media for the glory of God, please. But we are the light of the world by being the light, by living the light, by our character. So we need to be the light of the world by living the light before ever speaking. And what we've turned out, we've what we've done in our, our modern day is we've become lazy. We try to be the light by merely just speaking and attacking rather than actually letting the Lord live in us and hearing his voice. Well it's a little bit quiet this morning. But that's the message, quiet, right? We're speaking rather than listening to the still, small voice of God. And it costs to listen to the still, small voice of God. It costs you your time. It costs you to come into that place and quiet your souls. In other words, with everything that's going on in the world, and there's a lot of bad things going on. There's a lot of evil going on. The lawlessness is increasing. But what we're doing is we're reacting instead of responding. Reacting means it's the first thing that comes to your mind, your outrage, you speak out, you get angry. And responding is going before the Lord, saying, Lord, all this is happening, but I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to pray. I'm going to find out your will. And I'm, not, I'm going to have the courage to be quiet until the time you want me to speak. It's, it's living in a way that our souls are submitted to God and not just going wild by what we think is right. What we're doing today is very much like what Peter did in the Garden of Gethsemane. He took out that sword and he cut off the high priest's servant's ear. And in trying to protect Jesus... We're doing the same thing, and we're cutting off people's ears. They can't hear us anymore, because of the way we're speaking, because of our tone, because of our uh, anger and outrage. We think we're doing right, but we are not first submitting to God. Do you understand now how this message has a little bit in it to offend everybody? <laughs> Point two. And I'm listen, I need this as much as everybody, right? So point two, focus on listening more than speaking. Focus on listening more than speaking. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 1 through 7. Listen to these words of wisdom. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen, say the word listen. Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort, or worry and the voice of a fool through many words. Later it goes on to say, do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather fear God. And the main thing I'm trying to emphasize here is that verse 1 where it says, Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. People are willing to sacrifice. The terrorist is willing to sacrifice everything for what he believes. To blow himself up like the 9-11 bombers and terrorists. People are willing to sacrifice great things. And this is why the Word of God says to obey is better than sacrifice. And that word for obey is shema, which means hear. So it could be translated as to hear and obey. To hear and obey. Why? Because in order to sacrifice rightly, you need to hear God. Not just offer up the sacrifice of a fool, but to offer up a true sacrifice, a living sacrifice. You can sacrifice without being obedient, but you cannot be obedient without sacrificing. So if you're hearing God, it will cause you to lay down your life. We need to listen. God is calling us to listen. That means quieting ourselves quieting our hearts. So we're to listen to God. That's first and foremost. But also we're to listen to one another. When you are self-righteous, you stop listening because you're right. Why do I need to listen to you? I'm right. So when you're self-righteous, you stop listening. But there's an old adage, and the old adage goes like this. You have two ears and one mouth, so listen twice as much as you speak. Did you get that? You have two ears, one mouth, so listen twice as much as you speak. More than courage to speak, we need courage to listen. So you may pray, oh God, give me courage to speak. But more than that, we need courage to listen so that what we speak is God's word rather than our own thoughts. But here's the thing, we're afraid to listen to God because God may upset or convict us. We may need to humble ourselves and repent. And so... One of the reasons why we don't listen is because He may convict us. He may change things. He may upset things. But remember, the Father always does what is best for you. And what He speaks is always best for you, as well as all of His people, as well as all of His creation. So recently, I bought noise-canceling headphones. Has anybody ever had noise-canceling headphones? I'm not talking about just ones that kind of muffle the sound, but the noise-canceling technology. I'll explain it to you. But one of the amazing things is, as you put this in your ears, and Bose does the best. This is not an advertisement for Bose, but if you want, if you want to help uh, the ministry, you can. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm sure nobody is going to respond to that one. <laughs> Bose has the best noise-canceling can- technology. You put this in your ears and whoosh, all the noise is cut out. Wow. Sometimes a little noise comes through, but it just brings you into that. It's, it's when you, if you first experience it, it's quite amazing. Then you get used to it. Now, I've never owned noise-canceling headphones, and I've discovered that the technology was quite impressive. Because it does more than just muffle the sounds on the outside. It uses a mic to pick up the background noise, and then feeds a reverse sound wave into your ears to cancel out the noise. So in math, in math it would be like plus one uh, plus minus one equals zero, plus one. Plus minus one equals zero. So you have a wave and it's taking in all the waves of all the noise here. Yeah, the wave. And what it does is it feeds into your ear a reverse wave. And that reverse wave of sound cancels the noise so that you don't hear the noise around you. It's an opposite wave. And that reverse sound wave cuts out the noise. And this is the same way God cancels the noise within us. And this is what's really more important than the noise without is the noise within, as I said. And God wants to cancel the noise within us. And how he does that is he speaks a word to us, a quiet and gentle word, which goes precisely against the grain of noise around you. So there's all this noise going around you. And what does God speak? He speaks in a still small verse, a reverse of what's going on around us, the opposite. It's his still small voice rather than the wind, the earthquake, and the fire all around. We think of Elijah. The wind came and broke the rock into the pieces, but God wasn't in the wind. And then we had the fire, but God wasn't in the fire. Here's all things that are flamboyant, which are loud, which are spectacular, but God is not in any of those, not in the wind, not in the fire, not in the earthquake. The Lord is in the still small voice and he speaks to Elijah in the still small, quiet voice. While the Christian world is often saying, petition and protest, God is saying, get back to my house, humble yourselves, repent, pray, and seek my face. That's the only way I can truly heal the land. Now, there is a time for petition and for protest, but that is not really the the ultimate solution for anything That's happening in the world. The ultimate solution is always let's get on our face and humble ourselves and pray and seek God. He is the one that heals the land. It is not through our own efforts, but through his grace. So I want to encourage you, stop all your silly plans and post and listen to God. This is what I believe God is saying. I've been spending time listening to him, and, and i felt the Lord is saying, Stop all your silly plans and posts and listen to me as, as Christians we develop selective hearing, only hearing from what only hearing from God what we want. <laughs> you know what selective hearing is? we just hear what we want to hear. we don't hear the whole thing we don't hear the entirety and so when we When it comes to the Scripture, we pick and choose what we want to hear. We don't hear everything. And God wants us to stop having selective hearing and hear Him completely. Because He is to be Lord over every area of our life. And like I was saying before, as God's people, we have to learn again how to be a disciple in this social media COVID and government government mandate age. So we live in this social media age, this COVID age, and this government mandate age. And never has there been a time like this before, though there has been, in some ways, there's been times like this, but never exactly like this. And we have to learn how to be a disciple of Christ in this time. And what I believe the Lord is saying is as a church, we have not learned it yet. And I'm talking about the church worldwide here. So don't take it too, take the word personal, but don't take it too personal. (laughs) In other words, take it to heart. But what I'm sharing here has to do with the health of the body of Christ. So we have this new situation, and we have to learn how to be like Jesus in this new situation. And regarding government mandates, they are nothing new. Some people, oh, government mandates, all, all of a sudden the Antichrist is coming. Okay, well, there's been Antichrist always around. And yes, the Antichrist is coming, but, gov- but government mandates have been around for a long, long time. That's how Jesus got to Bethlehem. Carter Conman talked about this in a message a number of months ago. How did Jesus get to Bethlehem? How was he born in Bethlehem? Well, how did, and he, to be born in Bethlehem was a fulfillment of prophecy. How did he get there? The government mandated that there would be a census, and that meant everybody had to go back to where their original uh, home was. And this was highly inconvenient, especially if you were pregnant like Mary. And Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem under a government mandate. And it was inconvenient, and it was not fun, and you don't want to be traveling like that pregnant because there's a risk to the baby, and yet they went and did it, and that fulfilled prophecy. Prophecy. And God knew about it. It was the prophecy in Micah. So again, this is a time of petition and protest, anger and outrage, pushing and shoving back. The government pushes you, you shove back. Someone says something you disagree with, you fight back. But we need to ask ourselves, how do the ethics and the ways of Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount apply right now? Now, how does the Sermon on the Mount apply right now? Has the command to turn the other cheek been revoked? Has going the extra mile after being forced to go the first mile still important? Now, remember that the Roman... Jesus is speaking to a government, the Roman government, which is very controlling. And one of the things they used to do is they would force a Jew to carry something for a mile. So they would force them and say, you have to carry this. And they would carry it for a mile. And they said, okay, you don't have to carry it anymore. And what does Jesus say? Say, oh, actually say to them, I'm going to carry it an extra mile. And why is that? Because in that extra mile, there's something that the Roman soldier sees that he has never seen before. What the Roman soldier has always seen is the fighting back, the anger, the outrage. Then he sees, what is this? Why do you want to carry this an extra mile? It makes no sense to my logical mind. But the disciple of Christ is living for a higher kingdom. And he has a greater grace than the people in the world. And he carries the burden for an extra mile because he is a witness of Jesus who carried the cross and who is going to carry the cross. And maybe in that extra mile, he gets to share the good news of the kingdom. The person is thinking totally different than the people of the world. How do the people of the world think? You slap me in the face, I'll slap you back. But Jesus says, you slap me in the face, turn the other cheek. It's a different way of living. It's a different way that the Lord has for his disciples. Now, I'm not saying that if you are a soldier in the army, you turn the other cheek because your duty now as a soldier is to protect and watch out. What if Gideon, as a security guard, someone needs to be kicked out and he says, oh, I'm just going to overlook it. I I won't kick them out even though they're acting rowdy and they're affecting the rest of the environment. Well, if he would do that, he would not be doing his job. The idea, though, of turning the other cheek is, for example, someone says something, they rail against you in a text message. or oh, you turn the other cheek by just responding back kindly and not fighting back. It's in things like that that we need to turn the other cheek and live in mercy and grace. So this brings us to the last point. Is this getting through? I hope it's getting through. Point three, the last point. Cultivate a quiet soul. Cultivate a quiet soul. And this comes from Psalm 131. And one of the things I did this week was write a poetic translation of Psalm 131. So I'll read that to you. But it's more meant to be seen because it's the way it's laid out is laid out like poetry. So it's not just to be heard, it's to be seen on the page. But I'll read Psalm 131 in this, a fresh translation. Yahweh, no pride in my heart, no cockiness in my eyes, no strut in my step, and no thought that I am an expert. Instead, let me be balanced, my soul Quiet. Like a wean child resting with his mother, like a weaned child, calm, content, and satisfied, my soul. Hope, O Israel, wait confidently, expecting Yahweh, both now and forever. That's Psalm 131. And like I said in the beginning, it's one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. That's what Spurgeon said. Now when a child is being weaned, it fights with the mother tooth and nail. Some of the mothers know what it's like. A child doesn't like to be weaned. The child doesn't like the transition and change. The child wants instant gratification. Children want things to go back to the good old day, days. And yet God is trying to wean us from the crying and demanding, the hustle and the noise, so that we are inwardly content. I want to encourage all of us to cultivate a quiet soul through quiet times with God. Now, I am not saying that I fully have achieved all this. You may see sometimes where I'm agitated and upset and angry, And it's where I need to apply this word afresh. Now, hopefully you don't see that. (laughs) But what I'm saying is as I'm speaking this word, I see that I have room to grow, even though I'm putting into practice these things. Cultivate a quiet soul through quiet times with God. Take Selah moments you know this word that often appears in the psalms, selah, or oh, selah, sorry, selah. The accent should be on the first syllable, selah. Selah. Yeah, that's I'll try to say it a few times. <laughs> and take these selah moments. No, the, the scholars all debate about what this word means. And they offer all different interpretations. But I think the best is to say that this is a time of pause, especially in the Psalms. It's moments of pause to soak in God and lift up your soul to Him. That's what it means. Salah. Selah, sorry, Selah. And lastly, in Psalm 139 the psalmist concludes by exhorting us to hope in the Lord. Hope is what calms the storm within. Hope is having an overriding positive expectation of God's goodness and victory over all things. So the end of Psalm 139 says, Hope, O Israel, in Yahweh. Quiet times are about connecting us with God and communing with Him and listening to a still, small voice. His voice is that opposite wave. It's the reverse of what the world is shouting, even the Christian world. And I know for a fact that God is faithful to speak to those who seek His face. So God's speaking is not just to some great spiritual leader. There's no real great spiritual leader anyway. All this stuff on TV when they make someone look powerful and a big audience and stuff, all of that is appearance. What really matters, is what comes down to the everyday life of the man or woman of God and how they live in everyday life and how they treat their family, how they treat their kids and how they treat the people around them. A powerful man is not the one that's on the TV camera. And that's why when we see, oh, there's the person on the TV camera, and then you find out, out at the end of their life, oh, they, they were in sin, and it saddens our heart. We thought that was a powerful man. Well, the real power is only from the Holy Spirit, and it's lived out in everyday life, being a light every day. And I know for a fact that God speaks to those who seek his face. And that's the stand as a church, and as for me and my family, that I'm taking in this time is to seek his face, to enjoy his presence, to sing his praise, and to speak his living word. That is what I want to be doing in this time, and I hope you want to be doing too. Seeking his face, enjoying his presence, singing his praise, speaking his word. And not getting caught up in all of the noise out there. Let's all stand. We're going to pray. Do I hear an amen? So the conclusion is value the gentle. Focus on listening and cultivate a quiet soul. This is the way to cancel the noise and live in the Lord's peace. Valuing the gentle, focus on listening and cultivate a quiet soul. I'm going to ask Luke to come forward and then after I pray, Fia, you're welcome to come too. And we just want to put this into practice now. Father, we thank you for your words. And we thank you for your still small voice. Today we need to hear that voice. And I'm praying for all of us to be able to cultivate a quiet soul before you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Father, I'm praying that today we don't crumple up the Sermon of the Mount and throw it out or think that was for some other time. Father, it's for now. All those things that you said on that mount how you taught your disciples, the things you taught them about their eyes, about their hearts, about forgiveness, about living different than the world lives, about turning the other cheek and going the extra mile and hearing and obeying, all those things. It's for now. I pray that, Father, you would work in us So that we would become that living message that we would not have to shout with our voice at one another that we would just live we would live the word and that would be speaking louder even than our voice but God you have given us a voice to speak help us to be quiet until that time to speak help us to be quiet to listen to you to be Disciples of Christ, we give Father our hearts to you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Lately, I've been uh, praying and uh, for anyone that wants prayer. And if you do want prayer for anything that we were talking about, especially just that God would cultivate you in you a quiet soul, feel free to come forward. I think today, since Anna is not uh, leading in worship, she can join me in prayer. That would be wonderful. And we'll anoint you with oil and pray. And if you need healing for anything, we'll pray for you. So we'll just have a time of quietness waiting on the Lord. That doesn't mean we can't sing. You can sing. (laughs) But a time of just listening to God. Amen.